They told me I use my mouth good. So I started a podcast. It is MK Lords, and this is Iconosass. It is July 4th, 2017. Some people know this day as Independence Day, but I know it as my birthday. So it is my birthday. It's also the 4th of July, Independence Day, big day for America and Americans. And... I'm doing a podcast instead of going out and braving the crowds and listening to the fireworks and watching the fireworks, which is fine. I've seen a lot of fireworks in my day. You may even hear some of them in the background of this recording um, because there's a lot of activity outside my little apartment right now. So um, yeah, I mean, I'm not a big fan of the traffic and stuff like that. Um, And, you know, it's always interesting having a birthday on the 4th of July. The irony of me having a birthday on that day isn't lost on me, considering, uh, well, I'm pretty outspoken and have been for shit as long as I can remember. When I started doing the show, I was like, oh, I don't want to make it super political. And then... All I could talk about was kind of pol- politics and stuff, or at least part of it. I try to I try to change it up. I'm really trying. I'm trying to break out of talking about politics and stuff. But yeah, sometimes I get fixated on what's going on and all of that shit. But anyway, I've had a pretty good birthday. I caught up with a lot of people, um, just kind of chatting with them, uh, just talking with old friends and kind of newer friends, and it's been a really chill day, which is kind of what I needed. How I would celebrate my birthday in the past was kind of with giant parties and stuff like that, and that was always, it was always a lot of fun, um, but as I get older, I kind of like really chill birthdays, so that's kind of what I did this year. You know, I've changed a lot in the last 
couple of years and I was thinking back to the person I was even just a year ago. And a year ago, I was in San Diego. I had quit my job at a startup. I was driving for Lyft, uh, but I was also very directionless and didn't really know where I was heading, and a lot of things were falling apart around me. And then they kept falling apart, and things got kind of crazy, and I wound up back in Florida. And it's been one of the hardest years of my life, to be honest. I'm going to maybe get into a little bit of personal stuff for this podcast episode, but maybe it's necessary. And I've grown a lot. I've learned a lot. I'm getting closer to, I don't want to give my age away too much, but I've probably mentioned it in the show before, so you can probably deduct from that. But I've I've been all over the kind of political spectrum in a lot of ways and a day like today is very fraught with political overtones and I can't tell you how much red white and blue shit I've eaten (laughs) because my birthday falls on this day Um, and that's fine and my kind of start with political stuff probably happened when I was really young. I remember during the Clinton administration when they were gearing up to invade Kosovo and I was very distraught over it even though I was a child. I was very concerned about the people over there and I just remember thinking what could they have possibly done to warrant this type of aggression. And that stuck with me for a long time, and I got really politically active under the George W. Bush years. I was very anti-war. I was, I would say, kind of left progressive, you know, Democrat Party type person for a little while. And then I got kind of closer to, I would say, left anarchism, totally against the state. Um, you know, I didn't see it helping me or my friends, and I also saw the institutions around me that weren't directly supported by the state, but the religious institutions and social institutions, and saw them as a very, as very oppressive forces in general. And from there, I kind of discovered libertarianism, and I've met a lot of good friends through that. And uh, then I kind of got into a more centrist form of anarchism, I guess you could say. And I think that my core values have remained about the same, but the tactics that I kind of talk about have changed. And also, I mean, I'm always going to be opinionated. I've gotten kicked off of several (laughs) different things for being really opinionated and I don't really see that ever changing. So again the irony isn't lost on me. I've spent a lot of time criticizing the government of this country and the social institutions enforced by this country and all of that. Um, I've definitely spent a lot of time doing that. 
I've done my fair share of sneering about this country. And I always joke that America steals my thunder since my birthday falls on July 4th. <laughs> so it's kind of like a, a you know, a, a running thing that I kind of do. And I could get angry about what this day means to a lot of people in this country, but I'd rather tell a story. So yesterday, I was photographing the home of a middle-aged Arab couple, and I'm usually on a tight schedule, and when I went to photograph the main areas, they told me that they had something sweet for me. They invited me to sit down with them and offered me homemade harissa with cherries. So harissa is a cake made with coconut and a little bit of sweet cream in the middle. Really tasty. And it turns out I had met the man before at another photo shoot I had done because he was a contractor. Their house was modest but beautifully decorated, and he showed me artifacts that were hundreds of years old. His wife was incredibly hospitable and told me several times that I was welcome to come to their home anytime. For a brief moment, we were all just Americans eating some cake. As I was leaving, she walked me to my car and was apologizing for her English. She said she took classes a couple times a week to get better, but I was able to understand her completely. We said goodbye several times, and she reassured me that I was welcome to come back. She didn't know a thing about me, but was really kind anyway. America's great. It's not great because of the government we have or the sexism, racism, and bigotry that still exists. I don't like that people in other countries believe we are all those things because we have a government that is. I hate that colonialists violently displaced indigenous people. I don't support the troops killing innocent people overseas. I don't support the police disproportionately killing black and brown people. I don't support the xenophobia rampant in many areas of the country. But America is great because of the people in it. The people who gave up everything they knew to move to a country that hated them so that they could make a better life for themselves and their loved ones. The people who worked any and every job they could and learned one of the hardest languages you can and faced horrendous discrimination yet still kept going. I've worked alongside immigrants, I've lived in neighborhoods that were made up of mostly immigrants, and when my girlfriend's car broke down in Boston, an immigrant who didn't speak English worked on her car until 8 o'clock p.m., well past the closing time of any auto shop I've ever seen. He spent hours fixing it and charged us a fraction of what it usually costs for the service. I've experienced such generosity from immigrants throughout my life, whether it was working in the restaurant industry or having my car keys returned to me when I absentmindedly left them on a mailbox in Chula Vista, or seeing a man work for hours on a car even when he didn't have to, just so two queer people he didn't even know wouldn't get stranded. No immigrant ever called me a faggot. So when I hear people bitch about others moving here to make their lives better or waving around their Civil War participation trophies, that's the Confederate flag, if you're wondering, I roll my eyes into space. How fucking dare you attack your fellow people for committing the crime of wanting to be an American? 
This country has a lot of problems, but immigrants are not one of them. There's nothing that immigrants can bring to this country that is worse than what goes down in parts of Florida or Alabama or Mississippi or North Carolina or Illinois or D.C. This country has been made more forward-thinking, more cultured, more interesting, more free, and all-around better because of the people who risked everything to live a dream they weren't even sure was going to pan out. America doesn't need to be made great again. It needs to recognize who makes it great. It's not the best country in the world, but there's a reason people want to come here. The America I see is one of people from across the world who can break bread with one another regardless of gender, race, sexuality, or religion because we're all human beings that yearn for connection. This is America. And if you don't like that, you can get out. And that's really, it's just something that dawned on me yesterday. And I, I was in this house with people and I've had these experiences. And, you know, I, I'm not a super patriotic, nationalistic person. But when I see people coming out and saying we have to deport a bunch of people and we have to you know, discriminate against them in various ways and we have to put them on watch lists and all of this tyrannical fucking bullshit, it really pisses me off. This country was created by immigrants. We are freer because of the people who are bringing over their cultures and sharing them and we can all grow together because of that. And that's my 4th of July rant. That's, I mean, like, that's as America as I'm ever going to go on everyone, (laughs) you know. But I do feel very fortunate to have been born into this country and have the opportunities that I've had. And it's been difficult. I've lived in poverty quite a bit. I still kind of am. (laughs) And I'd still rather be here than in a lot of other parts of the world. Um, And I'm not trying to get all sentimental on you or anything like that. But yeah, I am grateful for the amount of freedoms that I do have um, due to the efforts of a lot of radical people. It's radicals who have made us freer. And I salute them. And I think that's one way I can kind of keep things in perspective on the 4th of July slash my birthday, <laughs> there, there is still so much to critique about this country and the direction it's been heading in lately and all of that. And surely I'll be doing that on this podcast quite a bit. But I will say it has created a kind of cool culture. So, yeah, uh, I'm grateful to be alive right now. I made it through an extremely rough year, and even before that, things were not easy. I've been kind of fighting this weird, chaotic, uphill battle for, I would say, about three years to try to get my life together after it's just been one kind of crazy, chaotic, tragic thing after the other. And I kind of feel like I'm coming through to the other side of it. And it's taken a long time to do that. I've had to do a lot of work on myself. But I kind of feel like I'm on a much better trajectory. 
and I'm kind of getting the passion back that I used to have and that's because I've I put in a lot of effort to kind of help address these things in my life and I've also been kind of opening myself up to things that I didn't think would work in the past and stuff like that and trying to adjust things in various ways and it seems to be working all right. Um, I've dealt with really extreme depression and anxiety for a long time and I feel like some of that is being lifted just a little bit finally kind of reaching a bit of a calmer period in my life so uh, while I'm always going to be fired up about stuff at least in my personal life things have kind of mellowed out a bit and I'm hoping that that will allow me to spend more time creating cool stuff for people who want to see me create cool stuff so if you're listening I thank you for that just the fact that you're taking time to listen to the crazy ramblings of some person on the internet that's cool and I hope to continue to do that of course in writing and other things too I recently started the patreon and that's kind of going to be a central hub of all the cool stuff I'm making and you'll be kind of able to hear things if if you do become a patron you're able to hear early releases of episodes, and then at certain levels, all of the outtakes. So I'm going to start doing this thing where I take all of the outtakes from the podcast you're listening to, which is a podcast that's going to be cleaned up and all of the gross, you know, weird breath noises and ums and ahs and shit like that. I'm going to cut that out. And I'm going to take that material and put it into a second podcast, just kind of a humorous take. And it's like, hey, you know, guess what? I'm not a perfect person. Podcast people aren't perfect people. You know, we do editing. And I want you to hear all of that weird stuff that we cut out so we sound so we sound wicked smart. <laughs> so stay tuned for that. I, I did that, actually, with an episode of The Lulberts recently. If you listen to Jim Jesus's podcast, The Lulberts, hilarious uh we did a three hour long podcast together and it was fantastic and I basically whittled it down to about just under 30 minutes I think of just all the weird mouth noises and ums and awkward phrasing that we had and then also some of our worst lines like totally out of context so it totally misrepresents our arguments (laughs) And that was really fun to make. You can listen to that. That was the last thing I posted on Patreon if you really want to listen to that. It was really goofy. And that's kind of what you can expect moving forward. I want to create some fun content and some serious stuff and a little bit of everything. So yeah, I had to do a little rant about that. But I do recognize that we can't spend all of our time being angry about things. You know, I've certainly spent a shit ton of time being pissed off at the world and the way the world is and all that. And obviously there's a time and place for that. It's good to get riled up about stuff that you believe is important, especially when your rights are at risk. But I do like to kind of keep things a little balanced out. So I did my rant for this episode. Yeah, rah, rah, America. Or whatever. (laughs) 
<laughs> so I kind of want to move on to a segment that's a little more lighthearted. And definitely let me know how you're feeling, if, if you have strong feelings politically about Independence Day or the 4th of July or anything like that, I'm definitely open to hearing them. <laughs> I, I like to hear different viewpoints, you know, if I'm wrong about something, I definitely want to know. So, let me know. Moving on. I'd like to kind of refocus to local happenings and local news. And that means that it is time for the People of Florida segment. And I'm going to wander over to the Florida Man subreddit to find out what have been the happenings of the crazy people surrounding me in this swampland and we are here and some of these things oh wow this is interesting florida woman decides bag of meth in her butt would make a tasty snack hmm all right then well drugs are bad don't do drugs you know meth is whack and all of that Bored Florida man hacks local school district Twitter account, posts racist tweets because, quote, why the hell not? Well, um, if you're leaving your Twitter account vulnerable like that, I kind of have to say you really got to tighten that stuff up. If you're a local school district, your Twitter account shouldn't be very easily hackable. And I'm not trying to blame the victim here. Obviously, this guy seems like a bit of an asshole. But, come on, local school districts, people who supposedly have real jobs and authority and all of that shit, tighten up your shit. Don't let this happen to you. Because there are many bored Florida men out there who are super fucking racist and will do this. You know what? I, I just gotta, like, take a tangent and complain. I, I called the Confederate flag a Civil War participation trophy in the last segment, and I still see Confederate flags waving around here. And I just gotta say, I don't get it. Why Why would you want to be waving around the flag of the losing team? Why do you have so much invested in this idea of this, you know, antiquated southern lifestyle or heritage or whatever you want to call it and just for the record all of the people who are going to be like well it's heritage not hate then why are they always racist people like overtly racist like I've never seen a non-racist person being proud about their confederate flag it just it seems to highly correlate with racism and you know maybe there's some outliers or something of people who aren't racist and are just like well you know I'm a free speech or whatever the fuck ever but let's be real if you're waving that flag around you probably have some deep-seated issues with race and you need to figure that shit out and I don't get why you'd celebrate being on the losing side spoiler alert the south will not rise again I know it may be hard to believe but you're just gonna have to 
Thank God those people are dying out. All right, back to Florida people. Iguana in the toilet is no match for Florida man. Aw, poor Iguana. Florida man has Greyhound training license suspended after 12 Greyhounds test positive for cocaine. Damn, this guy was drugging Greyhounds to win races. This is wild. Well, it's not that wild. It's Florida. It's like Florida wild. It's on the level. But this is incredible. First of all, I just got to say that sounds like a huge waste of cocaine. Surely there are cheaper ways to get your greyhounds high and increase their endurance and performance. It can't be like cocaine's got to be the least efficient way of doing this. Don't they have like greyhound steroids? I bet they do. I'm sure that's something that exists. So let's see. Florida man sits on gun, shoots self in penis. I'm I'm curious how. So he must have. It would be hard to shoot yourself in the dick sitting down on a gun. You really have to be at just the right angle. But what are you doing leaving your guns just hanging around where you would, in places you would sit on them? That's bizarre. You know, there are better places to hide your guns than, what, on your couch or futon or whatever. Oh, that sucks. Let's see. Florida man emerges from some bushes to shout obscenities at passing strangers. Yeah, that's pretty common. Pretty common thing. Florida woman charged with allowing 12-year-old to drive. Oh, yeah, I've been there. I mean... (laughs) The 12-year-old, that is. I don't have any kids. Probably will never have any kids. (laughs) So, let's see. Florida man takes care of the lionfish epidemic with his Glock brand Glock. That's a weird way to write a headline. I'm assuming that means a Florida man was shooting lionfish with his Glock. Which, that's interesting. That's one way to handle that, I reckon. Florida man... Tired of walking, steals another forklift. The interesting word in this headline is another, which implies he's already stolen one forklift because he was like, fuck walking places. I can just drive a forklift. I mean, I can get that logic some days. Some days. Some days you just got to steal a forklift to get where you're going. Florida man loses job as cop for shooting at people to chill out. Dude, my dude, you cannot shoot at people in the hopes that they will chill out. That's the exact opposite that could happen in this situation. What are you doing? What are you doing with your life? Get your life right, man. Get it right. Stop it. First mistake was probably trying to be a cop, but, well, there you go. Well, I think that kind of wraps it up. That's that's enough Florida Man headlines for the day. I think I want to keep this episode a little short and sweet. I'm going to be doing some more. I'm trying to wrangle some guests on 
And I think we're going to be able to do that in the next month or so. I'm hoping to have more guests on. And I think that'll kind of switch things up and you won't just be listening to me ramble on about politics and Florida people and all of that good stuff. Stay tuned for that. But since we're keeping it kind of short and sweet today, it's my birthday. I don't want to work too hard. I mean, I still have that Puritan work ethic deep within me, but I also recognize, like, gotta have a little bit of fun, too. So, (laughs) so I want to move on. If you're hearing that music, you know what time it is. It is time for the sassy bun of this episode. That's right. This sassy bun is very interesting and this article is coming from again one of my favorite sites atlas obscura all kinds of very interesting articles on this site i'm always finding good stuff on here to read and this one might interest science fiction fans and i've been a huge sci-fi fan for a long time for most of my life i've loved reading that type of material and even watching that ty- those types of shows and stuff like that. I wouldn't say I'm at super nerd level. You know, like I wouldn't say that I'm great at recalling all of the, you know, specific names of actors and stuff like if we're talking about shows and then like all the different intricacies and stuff like that. But I do appreciate the genre And it's something I've always been fascinated by. And the title of this article is One of the Earliest Science Fiction Books Was Written in the 1600s by a Duchess. And her name was Lady Margaret Cavendish. Now, some of you may also be familiar with another sassy bun science fiction writer named Mary Shelley who wrote Frankenstein. And if you haven't read that classic, stop what you're doing and read it. It's still extremely good, even if the language is a little bit older and all of that. But she's often credited with being one of the earliest science fiction writers as well. I mean, talk about creating this awesome genre. So this is interesting. This article starts with, No one could get into a philosophical argument with Lady Margaret Cavendish. Duchess of Newcastle-upon-Tyne, and walk away unchanged. Born in 1623, Cavendish was an outspoken aristocrat who traveled in circles of scientific thinkers and broke ground on proto-feminism, natural philosophy, the 17th century term for science, and social politics. In her lifetime, she published 20 books, but amid her poetry and essays, she also published one of the earliest examples of science fiction— in 1666. She named it the description of a new world called the blazing world. And this is awesome. So this is kind of a summary of the story. In the story, a woman is kidnapped by a lovesick merchant sailor, then forced to join him at sea. After a windstorm sends the ship north and kills the men, the woman walks through a portal at the North Pole into a new world, one with stars so bright midnight could be mistaken for midday. 
a parallel universe where creatures are sentient and worm men, ape men, fish men, bird men, and lice men populate the planet. They speak one language, they worship one god, and they have no wars. She becomes their empress, and with her otherworldly subjects, she explores natural wonders and questions their observations using science. How imaginative, how interesting. And this was interesting. She started it by addressing women in the audience. So she was hoping that women would read this book. And I don't know if you've read a lot of literature in the 1600s. Um, as an English nerd, I had to, <laughs> let me tell you. Uh, not a lot of it was made for a woman audience. Um, there was not really... There weren't that many female authors. There, the stories were definitely not written for women. And uh, so this is definitely a unique thing too. So she starts it all by addressing the women in the audience and saying, to all noble and worthy ladies. And then she lets them know about the strange trip in store for them. And this is a quote from it. The first part is romantical, the second philosophical, and the third is merely fancy, or, as I may call it, fantastical. And if, noble ladies, you should chance to take pleasure in reading these fancies, I shall account myself a happy creatoress. If not, I must be content to live a melancholy life in my own world, which I cannot call a poor world, if poverty be only want of gold and jewels, for... There is more gold in it than all the chymists ever made, or, as I verily believe, will ever be able to make. And the article goes on, but when Cavendish put her pen to paper, she didn't just aim to tell a fun story, she also examined popular theories about science. In the 17th century, scientists began asking new questions about how the natural world worked, using the slide rule, telescope, and microscope. Researchers dissected animals, interested in understanding their many parts. They also began to question the role of spirits and God. Ooh, that's scary. We're going to be questioning God. That could get you into some trouble back then. And Cavendish was fascinated by all of it. And again, consider this is the 1600s, so a very different time. She definitely had to do a lot of fighting to be respected, even though she spent a lot of time among thinkers and scientists and philosophers and stuff like that. Women were not always super respected during this period of history. Now, this is kind of interesting. In Cavendish's literary world, souls can inhabit different bodies, men can't comprehend God, and souls are genderless traveling as thoughts on vehicles of the wind. You know, whether or not you do believe in a soul and all of that, I would have a hard time assigning any gender to that concept. And where I'm at with the gender stuff, and eventually I want to do a series on gender that'll be coming a little bit later, but I don't really see it as necessary for contributions to society and you know it shouldn't be something that people regard when we're talking about human rights you shouldn't be treated differently because you present as a different gender or as no gender or things like that basically I mean I consider it to be a spook 
and I don't go by any strong gender pronouns. I well, I, I technically go by they, and I'm okay with being called she. That's I, I was assigned female at birth, and I present pretty femininely a lot of the time, and I I'm okay with being called she, because I do think there is a bit of a subversiveness in femininity, but I also have never felt that I fully identified as completely feminine. I've always wanted to be seen as more androgynous and I've wanted to be seen for the contributions I've make I'm making and not because I'm making these contributions while having certain body parts or appearing to be a certain gender. And as my listeners may know, body parts don't determine gender and all of that. So I think this is pretty interesting. I really hope that we see a world where there isn't gender, where it matters less and less over time, and people can also be respectful of the gender presentations of others if they do choose to strongly identify as a gender. I really think this struggle to kind of I know this is kind of a tangent, but I really think that this struggle that trans people face is similar to a new kind of civil rights movement. In a few more decades, we're going to be looking back on this period of history and being like, yeah, why did people think that we should treat people differently based on gender? Why did people think that it was okay to violently attack people who were presenting as a gender that they didn't want them to present as you know why did people get so bent out of shape at using them as a pronoun or (laughs) things like that people are going to look back and I think history will prove me right with this that people are going to be very confused looking back at this period of history and all of the controversy around something that I think intuitively people know shouldn't be violently enforced and it shouldn't be forced on people from such an early age and that they know it's damaging and that there's a lot of insecurities around it and that's why people attack each other and that's why people are so violent towards anyone who's not gender conforming so kind of my side tangent on gender it's it's one of my favorite topics and you're going to be hearing a lot more about that (laughs) But I want to get back to Cavendish because I want to kind of learn a little bit more about her. Let me tell you a little bit more about her upbringing. So growing up during the English Civil War, Cavendish had an unusual upbringing for a woman in the 17th century. Described as a shy child, she lived for years with other royals in exile But upon her return to England as a duchess, she gained entry to a scientific world that most women of her time could not access. Her husband, who was also involved in natural philosophy, supported her interests and connected her with Thomas Hobbes, Robert Boyle, and René Descartes. Cavendish was recognized as the first female natural philosopher or scientist of her time, She was also the first woman to be invited to observe experiments at the new British Royal Society, a forum for scientists, in light of her contributions to natural philosophy in her poems and plays. 
Unfortunately, she was the last woman for over a century because a ban on women was instituted, lasting until 1945. So get this. So get this. She was the first woman to be invited to observe these experiments at the British Royal Society. And the last, because they banned it from this. So think about this. From the 1600s until 1945, women were not allowed to even come and observe experiences going on in the British Royal Society. Now, I don't know how you can look at that giant gap of time and tell me that like you know women's rights are totally equal now if it took them until 1945 which I get where we're at now in history seems like a long time ago but really isn't I mean these are decades and decades and decades centuries that women were not allowed to participate and their contributions were not heard, contributions that we don't know if they could have pushed us way farther along technologically, scientifically, medically. You'll remember one of my sassy buns in a past episode um, was a doctor who was the first doctor to to successfully perform a C-section. And she was a woman disguised as a man because me- because women were not allowed to practice medicine. So just think of all of these things that we've lost out on, whether they were social institutions or government institutions, just banning women. Uh, for what reason? No good ones. <laughs> Obviously, she was one of... She was recognized as the first female natural philosopher. Like, she was hanging out with Hobbes and Descartes and these were people who were her colleagues and you you know recognize their names from history but where is where is her name being said like where is that so again like you can't say that you can't look at the way things are today and tell me that oh, well, it's okay. We don't know how much better things could have been if women had been allowed to participate, and we don't know how that has affected women's success today because when you are suppressed for generations and generations, over time, you you learn what is appropriate and what isn't appropriate societally speaking, and you suppress maybe your natural talents based on that. So you can't discount the socialization factor when it comes to differences in gender. Kind of moving on. So despite her shyness and melancholic episodes, ooh, (laughs) Cavendish challenged society's view of women, which made her subject to ridicule. Oh, shocking, I know. (laughs) She wore her own inventive style of dress and was seen as too outspoken and bawdy for a true lady. She not only believed in animal rights, she criticized values of her society, including its obsession with constant technological advancement. This, among other beliefs, earned her the nickname Mad Madge. So, for the record, if you're questioning society and you're outspoken and 
you are way forward thinking and critical of society. If you're a man, you're seen as an iconoclast, you're seen as a radical, you're, you know, there are all these positive things that you're seen as. But if you're a woman in the 1600s, you're seen as mad or crazy or hysterical. That's another common insult for women. Again, you know, double standards, all of that. But she didn't let it get her down. She still wrote. She still contributed. She still kicked ass in a lot of ways because she was a true sassy bun. And none of this discouraged her from participating in natural philosophy. She wrote volumes, sending them to contemporaries in her field without shame. Uh, in her work, The Blazing World, written six years after the British Royal Society formed, Cavendish's protagonists question popular beliefs about the universe and use reason to examine scientific theories. The two main characters are both women, known as the Empress and the Duchess. Got those strong female leads. That's what I'm talking about. And if you change some of the wording around, The Blazing World resembles a modern science fiction story. Basically, the Empress enters a portal in the book and enters another dimension where uh, she's now among the people of the blazing world, as her universe was called. And it came in colors ranging from green to scarlet and had what we may now call alien technology. And this was awesome. So there was like even some like kind of magic in the book, but a lot of that can, I mean magic is technology technology is basically magic <laughs> i mean it's as close to magic as you're going to get but yeah so this is this is awesome so she describes in the book she described a fictional air-powered engine uh, that moves golden otherworldly ships, which she says, quote, would draw in a great quantity of air and shoot forth wind with a great force. She describes the mechanics of a steampunk dream world in precise technical detail. So that is awesome. And one of her characters, the Empress, is very inquisitive. So she employs the ape men, worm men, and others to investigate how snow forms from water and why the sun gives heat. They're using a quote from uh, intellectual history professor Lisa T. Sarasone from her book The Natural Philosophy of Margaret Cavendish that the ape men, the chemists of the world, quote, foolishly waste their time trying to find the philosopher's stone. So all at once, Cavendish criticizes science, politics, and society at large. Awesome. <laughs> so I, I'm curious about this book. I almost want to read it now. I know it would be probably a pretty interesting read. And so, yeah, I mean, she she was very critical of everything. She was very outspoken, and she didn't let the forceful discrimination of her day get in her way. And, I mean, really, that that's what sassy buns do. Like, you can't let this stuff get in your way. We live in a pretty sexist society, but you just kind of have to kick through it and come out guns a-blazing and say fuck it and fuck what other people think. I don't care if people think I'm ladylike or any of that other bullshit. You just have to fucking go for it. And she did, and well-behaved women rarely make history. And it's true. 
So she was kicking ass. This was so far ahead of so much other material. Yeah, she she created this and she definitely carved a path for future science fiction writers and contributed a lot to philosophy and, you know, social criticism too. Check it out. The Blazing World is the name of it. And this article was from atlasobscura.com. And hell yeah, the sassy bun was Lady Margaret Cavendish. I think that, at least I hope, that you can draw inspiration from that. I'm talking about 1600, 1666. Sometimes I wonder if I had a time machine and I could travel back in time and kind of view some of these worlds and kind of figure out, like, what type of person would I have been back then? Would I, you know, you wonder, I, I wonder about this. Some people may wonder about this too, but like, would you have been a Margaret Cavendish or would you have been someone else? Would you have just kind of let things happen and just kind of gone along with things? Not even, these people in the 1600s that were doing this, they didn't know that eventually we would be in the world that we're in today. They were operating off of what they knew was right even if all of society was telling them it was wrong. And those are the type of people that move society forward. And I look up to them and I'm always going to be critical of social institutions and government institutions and stuff like that. And you absolutely need that. And, you know, whether it's with gender or race or sexuality or politics or any of that, you just have to move forward with what you know is right, even if everyone is screaming at you that it's wrong. And that's my concluding thoughts for the episode. Again, I wanted to kind of make this short and sweet. And thanks for listening again. Thank you to all of the patrons that are supporting me. And if you'd like to contribute, you can check out my Patreon. I'm on there under, you know, patreon.com slash mklords. You can send email if you come across weird stories or sassy buns or people that you or things that you want me to talk about send it on over to iconosass at gmail.com and you're gonna be in for a real treat in the next few months i've got i've got some cool stuff planned so thanks again for your support and catch you next time